1: It's the end of the week. Time to take a step back from the headlines and dig a little deeper on the weekly news recap. There are a lot of big stories to discuss.
2: City Council meets for a special meeting. That's where some aldermen plan to discuss Chicago's status as a sanctuary city for migrants.
0: City Council members reject the plan to take the most serious police discipline cases behind closed doors.
1: That vote coming at another contentious meeting inside council chambers proud to get into city council chambers is in the hundreds by the way. They're getting super upset and arguing with police earlier to try to get inside.
0: Those who are banging on the windows please remove them. Those that are shouting in this chamber please remove them.
1: To break down those stories and more we convened a panel of journalists including Block Club Chicago investigative editor and reporter Mick Dumkey, reporter and anchor at CW26 and host of WBEZ's making podcast Brandon Pope, and WBEZ Criminal Justice and Education Editor, Patrick Smith. We began by talking about Mayor Johnson lifting restrictions on the public attending city council meetings. And I asked Mick to remind us what those new rules limiting access were.
3: In essence, uh, there's been a lot of city council meetings, first of all, and they've been increasingly raucous over the course of this year. Um, And uh, some alder people have uh, been threatened, uh, both out, you know, in their wards, doing their work. Um, and in some cases, uh, I've heard about other people you know, being threatened actually inside City Hall, inside council chambers. Um, had the whole episode not long ago with uh, Carlos Ramirez Rosa um, and whatever he said to Emma Mitts and other elder people trying to block them from the floor. So this all added up to uh, some leaders of the city council saying we need to put some measures in place to Uh, try to instill better behavior or limit the chance of something Mm. uh, bad happening, going from, you know, things going from raucous to potentially violent. So they floated this plan, um, announced this plan, uh, whereby people would have to sign up ahead of time. Members of the public would have to sign up ahead of time to secure a seat and they'd have to show ID and some other things. And uh, there's an outcry, uh, allegations, this is... You know, undemocratic, and so on. And so uh, the bottom line is Mayor Johnson his team back down,
1: although those limits on public access were dropped, as you mentioned, Wednesday was the first day of the new rules of decorum in the in the chamber. And guess what? Things got out of hand again, and the mayor had to call a fifteen minute recess and for people to be removed. Let's listen to a little bit of what he said after the meeting ended.
0: The fact that people believe that their voices matter and they're showing up, um, that's a good sign. And now we just have to make sure that we level set so that people feel safe when they come to work and voices can be expressed, you know, without the type of disrespect and disruption that unfortunately has happened.
1: Brandon, do you think that the mayor will eventually find a way to welcome the public to, to council meetings w- without the meetings being so disruptive?
4: He really has no choice. I mean, you, you, you can't cut off access to a public meeting this is just one of the heralds of democracy in our country and in the city of chicago and angry people they have the right to voice their opinions what he what their administration needs to find a way to do is you know maybe step up security have stronger rules in place in terms of like behavior um that as he's tried to do in past meetings will get you removed if you if you violate them but it's a very slippery slope once you start saying uh, you got to register in advance. You can only sit here in this area. You can't actually be in the area where the room where it happens, as they yeah. say in Hamilton, right? It gets really bad.
1: Are we looking at a new normal for what these council meetings will look like, Patrick? Uh,
2: you know, maybe. I mean, the fact that, that that there's been all this attention on it, and then we still had more disruption uh, at city council this week, although I'm with Brandon, you know, you cannot uh, limit public access to, to these public meetings. Even if it does seem messy and chaotic, and we've certainly had chaotic meetings in the past uh, before Brandon Johnson's administration at City Council, yeah, right?
3: And, and you know, actually, there is there are limitations because there's seating limitations. Only so many people can get into that uh, second floor open seating area anyway, and you know, it's first come first serve. Then people, if you're you don't get into this the coveted second floor spot, um, then you have to go up to the third floor mm-hmm. where you're separated by glass. And and then if you run out of room there, you don't get in at all. So uh, there are limitations uh, just by default, by pure numbers game already. Uh, But the notion that there would be somebody inside the city government essentially, you know, getting people's names, taking them down, deciding, sending out messages of who can get in, who Mm -hmm. can't. I think that's just the. Just the the image of that just really looks bad.
0: Yeah.
1: And one thing that city council did grapple with on Wednesday as people were shouting and, and banging on windows in, in the public gallery, it had to do with police disciplinary hearings, Patrick.
2: Yeah, that's absolutely right. So this is an issue that, that uh, cropped up during the negotiation between the city and the Fraternal Order of Police, which represents most rank and file police officers, the majority of police officers. In the city, um, and essentially during those negotiations, the FOP got a ruling from an arbitrator who said that police officers should be allowed to contest or challenge cases of serious discipline before an arbitrator. Uh, The way it currently works right now, if an officer is facing termination or a suspension of more than a year, that goes before the police board. That's a public body that's appointed by the mayor and, and now actually... Nom- is going to be nominated by a new. So anyway, the, the point is there's a democratic process or or quasi democratic process of picking yeah. police board members. Their deliberations are public. Their decisions are public. What this arbitrator ruled was well, actually, police officers should have the same right as other city employees. They should be able to challenge even termination before an arbitrator, which would put it behind closed doors. It would also uh, arbitrators historically have been more likely to side with cops than they have been with with the city mm-hmm. in cases of discipline so that went before the city council uh this week and they voted against that arbitrator's ruling what that means is that now kicks it back to the arbitrator who who made the ruling in the first place and and it'll go from
1: there 20th ward alderwoman Jeanette taylor made some comments on this let's listen we are at a time where we gotta hold each other accountable and going behind closed doors to decide fate ain't holding people accountable and trust I want to trust. If I call nine one one, you're gonna come and do what I need you to do, and not shoot and kill me.
2: Ooh. Yeah. You, you, as you can see, this debate got uh, pretty, pretty fiery and yeah. intense. Which is, which is, you know, not a bad thing.
1: And the the police union is insisting that they'll take this issue to court. Right.
2: That's right. The way this process is going to play out, it's going to go back to that arbitrator who I said ruled in the union's favor in the first place. That arbitrator, he has already said he's not likely to change his mind. That means okay. it'll go back to city council. If they don't change their mind. They'll take it to court. I should say, city attorneys have said they think this is going to be a tough fight for the city to win, to 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 ultimately reverse this arbitrator's decision. Uh, It does leave a question, which is why city negotiators allowed this issue, specific issue about discipline, to end up being kind of divorced from the rest of the contract, which was approved by city council this Mm -hmm. week and and gives big raises to officers and other things. Uh, It seems like a... You know, I don't know if it was a negotiating failure, but but it's something where the, the city is saying they care a lot about this issue, but they have now allowed it to become separate from the rest of the contract, and even their own attorneys say they probably aren't going to win this fight.
3: Well, well older yeah. people, alder people want to go out there before the public and give speeches about it, whichever side of the issue they're on. So this quickly gets into
4: politics. It's, it's yeah. going to get messy for sure, because you just got a whole bunch of processes that are going to happen after this. The FOP can rip up the contract. We're talking lawsuits. We're talking lobbying the state legislature to get involved. Like there's tons of different options that could happen here. This thing could drag on for a year, for mm-hmm. even longer, uh all because of that separation they've done here. It's it's it is baffling kind of how that came about.
1: Yeah. The city council also voted on a couple of police misconduct settlements. What's the, that about?
2: Yes, they did. They, they voted to approve an 8.7 million dollar settlement uh to the family of Michael Craig, a man who was shot by shot and killed by police after calling 911 because his wife was threatening him with a knife. He, on the 911 call, he says, "I'm, you know, my wife has a knife on me. Uh, despite him calling that, mm-hmm. uh, him being the one who called 911, according to city attorneys, uh, when police showed up, they believed he was the, you know, aggressor or the, the offender, however mm-hmm. you want to put it. They shot him after he called 911, so nearly $9 million there. They also uh, voted to pay $2 million to the family of Darius Cole Garrett, who was shot by police uh, in August of 2014, and one thing that's notable about this—I mean, besides it being notable, obviously that a, a person was killed by police—yeah, it's notable that this was a vote uh, the city council took earlier this year, where the city council actually rejected this two million dollar settlement. Uh, they said, you know, that there were aldermen who who think the city settles too easily, that they shouldn't be approving these sorts of settlements. Uh, what I think a lot of people predicted, which is that basically. They went back to the negotiating table, came back to city council and said, yeah, we can't get a better deal. And then it, it got approved. Oh. Uh, this week.
1: All right. In other city council news, Alders unanimously approved a measure requiring nonprofits who lobby city officials to register as lobbyists. Uh, this was part of a package of ethics reforms that were backed by Lori Lightfoot. Right, Mick?
3: Yeah, I think this was not um, this one was put on hold, though, this particular provision. I mean, the context here is over the last. Fifteen years or so, uh, the city council has uh, step by step tightened restrictions on lobbyists, or and or required more disclosure from lobbyists and their activities. And in this case, uh, they extended that to nonprofit organizations, um, uh, who in some cases have their own lobbyists, uh, and in other cases may just be approaching alders or members of the you know other uh, city staffers. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so the city council said, hey, you should have to register, too. I think there are some uh, loopholes that allow smaller nonprofit organizations a yeah. little bit more leeway. But essentially, they're trying to say these organizations sometimes are significant players, too, and their activities should have to be disclosed.
1: And so well. everyone's on the same page, Mick. What does that mean to when you're being asked to register as a lobbyist? Like, what does that change?
3: Well, I think that um, it doesn't probably change that much in practice, uh, to be honest. But... Uh, Right now, you or I or anyone listening can go on the city's website and see uh, there's a whole list of registered lobbyists, um, their names, the firms they work for, and then the companies who are hiring them to do lobbying. And the idea is that, you know, sunlight is the best disinfectant, that uh, by requiring people who are engaging in lobbying to, you know, show us exactly who they're working for what issues they're working on, what companies are paying them, that that's going to reduce the idea of some of the stuff like we're seeing in federal court Mm. right now. So transparency. Um, transparency. It's a fundamental transparency measure.
2: I think, Sasha, what it means is you're going to have to register before you keep going down to City Hall and, <laughs> and lobbying on behalf of WBZ.
3: I, I will not. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh my gosh! All right, let's turn to another story, Brandon. Uh, Chicago's workers will have to wait another six months to get those mandated ten days of paid time off that uh, City Council approved back in November. Why the the delay? What's going
4: on? Yeah, the delay here can really be attributed to the concerns from uh, employers. The Chamber of Commerce, for one, has been talking about how they've been concerned that employers in general um, feel like they cannot implement this soon enough. Because one of the key requirements here is that um, if your employees do not use up all their accrued paid time off, you have to actually give them payment for that time that they have earned and accrued there. Right. And they brought that number down to 35 as well. So uh, they delayed this um, so they don't have to uh, actually uh, pay d- to get this in effect until July 1st, 2024. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this also protects employers because um, they could not be sued for this until July 1st, 2025, if they're not able to actually uh, pay out those those costly things there so uh, it, it, it's fascinating the delay here um but overall it seems to be just trying to get employers and businesses ready uh for this that it, it, it's the rest of the state's already doing it yeah chicago's just going to be behind
1: i mean i remember this this mandatory 10 days off it was this major victory for, for mm-hmm. progressives like mayor johnson are are they having second thoughts about the cost to businesses
4: I think it's a concern that's been raised more and more and more. I don't think the administration itself has those concerns, but aldermen themselves yeah. have. The ones who represent major business districts yeah. who are hearing the complaints from the Chamber of Commerce and the Retailer Association about how fast this is coming down the pipe. Mm-hmm. And they just don't feel like these employers are ready because they feel like, the bees businesses are already struggling as it is to to keep up with the way the economy is right now, the state of downtown, uh, and all kinds of other economic factors. Yeah. This just gives a little bit more time there for them to be ready for this uh, to be enacted.
1: Well, I have you in the hot seat, Brandon. City Council also approved a measure to impound buses that are transporting migrants uh, that are not following proper procedures. It yeah. seems extreme.
4: Uh, yeah, but it kind of makes a little bit of sense in practice. The, the idea here is that these buses would come in, at any time, and drop migrants anywhere. You, they, they sometimes would just stop in the middle of the street and drop them. Oh, yeah. The city wants there to be a designated area where migrants are dropped off, and they want it to be with a strict 5 p.m. curfew. Mm-hmm. So they have the staffing and resources to make sure that all that is done. No uh, random pop-ups. No random pop-ups. And we,
1: we impounded uh, the first bus Literally at 7.30
4: that night after this got passed. So they started right away with it. That bus had 49 migrants there. Um, The penalty, pretty stiff, $3,000 fine on top of the fees you got for storage and towing. So basically you're passing the buck down to these bus operators and making them think twice when they're in Texas about where they're going to be doing this, what time they're going to be getting back, whether they're going to accept that business or not.
1: Mm. Uh, Patrick City Council also voted on whether to include a non-binding question on the March ballot about whether Chicago should remain a sanctuary city. Had the vote turn out?
2: That was rejected by City Council. I believe the vote was uh, 31 to 16. A little context there: this was an effort that was being pushed by by people and Aldermen who believe that Chicago is essentially putting too much funding uh, into migrants. But to be clear, the connection between those two is only symbolic. The the idea of a sanctuary city is whether or not you cooperate with federal law enforcement when they're trying to go after undocumented immigrants, Mm -hmm. uh, not about how much money we're spending on migrants or other immigrant populations. Thank
1: you for making that distinction. Yeah, And and, and
3: by the way, these migrants are not undocumented, technically. They are asylum seekers. They're here awaiting um, their asylum claims to be adjudicated in the immigration system. So uh, we've all, who've been writing about this and reporting on it, we hear from the boo birds and stuff, send them back. They're not documented. That's a different group of people. Related issues, for sure. It all falls under the headline of our messed up federal immigration policies, but uh, a little bit different nuance. So to Patrick's point, a lot of this is uh, shouting in politics again. Yeah.
1: And voters ultimately here, in this case, will not be weighing in on whether Chicago remains a sanctuary city. Before the break we covered the latest news from Chicago City Council, but there's much more news to get to, like the corruption trial of Ed Burke. The prosecution and defense both rested their cases, delivered their closing arguments and now Burke's fate is in the hands of the jury. I asked Mick if former Alderman Danny Solis said anything stunning or surprising when he took the stand.
3: Well, I mean, from what I saw, the main uh, excitement around former Alderman Solis was the fact that he showed up in person because mm. uh, since it was revealed that he was a mole working for the feds, he was wired up um, and apparently collected evidence both for this case and for uh, the case against Michael, former House Speaker, State House Speaker Michael Madigan. Mm-hmm. Uh, former Alderman Solis has been AWOL. Yeah. He's been in hiding or at least uh people have not seen him publicly so the fact that he showed up and answered questions uh candidly it seems uh that was really the headline right there it's like look there's a sighting of danny right danny's in the house
1: and, and so least was their only witness and basically the defense's entire argument right
3: yeah they're basically saying uh look uh you've leaned so heavily in this guy he's corrupt himself uh the whole reason He ended up being a cooperating witness by his admission on the stand was, I think the quote was, to save myself. Um, The feds presented him with evidence apparently of his own wrongdoing, Mm -hmm. uh, misuse of campaign funds and some other issues. And uh, he decided to cooperate to try to get a better sentence for himself.
1: Yeah, right. So the defense, uh, they tried to bring his motivations and his trustworthiness
3: if it's, you will, it's, it's in, a classic. Yeah, classic defense. I mean, in yeah. in criminal trials, uh, whether it's somebody involved in uh, trafficking drugs or whether right. it's a corruption case, that's you know that's kind of 101 for the defense. Well, in
1: this the, case, do you think it worked? Uh, did they succeed? Well, the I'm
3: not the target audience, uh, but <laughs> I, was, I, I, I was not convinced. Uh, just because one alder person was corrupt doesn't mean another one is not. So. <laughs> All, and, and that is not older that is not to impugn not all all people. Yes, they're not
1: all equal. That's right. They're not all yeah. equal
3: and they're not all corrupt. Just... I mean,
4: overall, it does speak, though, to I mean, Chicago has been voted most corrupt city. How many years in a row now? Like, you know, this all just paints that picture more vividly. You know, hearing the clips of Ed Burke, hearing the tapes, hearing the audio, they become infamous at this point. Right. Right. Um, And I think it's fascinating, though, how much of the public isn't even really paying attention to this case because we're so used to corruption in this city. They were just kind of like,
3: eh. I think you're right. Another one. Yeah, Yeah. I'm sorry. And just quickly, and and also the fact, Sasha, you alluded to the fact that, you know, the initial indictments in this case were brought more, it was like four and a half years ago, almost five years ago at this point in time. The key details, the most shocking details of the case were revealed in court documents a long time ago. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of people are sort of just waiting for the... It's not over? For the
2: verdict to drop. Yeah, Yeah. exactly.
1: Well, I mean, you mentioned you are not the the target audience, Mick, but I mean, what about the jury, Patrick? Do do you think they might have been convinced? I
2: I, I don't mean to, you know, I don't mean to uh, get in front of what is a very important process of deliberation. I don't mean to spoil the ending, but federal prosecutors basically don't miss. Like, like these cases take forever and, and they don't always bring cases to begin with. If they bring a case like this, I, I think their conviction rate is like ninety nine percent. So mm. again, I, we're not in the prognostication business. The jury's gonna do their job, mm-hmm. uh, but if I was somebody who was betting on this, I, I would bet that no, it, it didn't work. And as far as what's been most interesting, you're right, Mick, that 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 you know this has been slow slow coming. I mean it's the chance to actually hear some of the, some just a fraction of what they got on tape. Uh, you know, I guess I'm probably thinking of this as a radio reporter and WB easy listener, but hearing Mariah Wolfel's story where she played a bunch of the clips from The Wiretaps of Burke, you know, really hearing it in the tone of his voice has been oh, the yeah. most interesting thing from all this. I story.
3: mean, there's got to be a documentary about this oh, yeah. afterward. I know peop- some people are probably sick of it, but it is just such a great, colorful, vivid, and disturbing glimpse into... Uh, how backroom
4: dealings? Oh, I love that description. Started. Great,
1: yeah. colorful, vivid, and disturbing. It, Are you? It's like watching The it, Godfather. Or? Some of the <laughs> stuff you hear <laughs> Burke saying.
4: So you're right. Yeah, it's 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 eye popping.
1: Mayor Johnson's uh, pressing the pause button on migrant tent camps. Uh, this is after the state announced it's not reimbursing the city for a million dollars spent constructing a tent camp in Brighton Park. Remember, there was all that debate over environmental concerns, Brandon. How bad is all of this for the Johnson administration? What do you think? It's
4: it's terrible. I mean, Just just being frank. Uh, Next question. Many, well, yeah, because, well, think about this. It's not really
2: the format. Many, kinda... yeah, yeah. But, but
4: many people have been pressing rightfully this administration, what is the plan? What is the plan? Especially as we get into the winter months. It just didn't seem like we had any. And it just... Things like this, you want you want there to be some sort of housing, but you don't want it to feel rushed and also potentially put people in danger as well. Then you also add on, you know, mixed reporting from Block Club Chicago with Melody Mercado about all of these different deals that are happening um, with these migrant shelters that they're scrambling to get together and. Um, and really, it's, you're seeing a lot of landlords, contractors make a, a high amount of profit, but the city not get a lot of benefit on the back end there, right. overpaying exorbitantly in, in rent. Nick, you can talk deeper about what goes on there, but it's just none of this looks organized or well thought out. And so if you're the Johnson administration at this point, you have to be thinking, we we got to take a step back here. Uh, we got to reestablish our relationship with the state You know, we've seen this back and forth between Pritzker and his office. Uh, You got to reset the standards here because literally lives are at stake right now. Yeah. I mean, this is is bad.
1: And let's also underscore the fact that we used $1 million of taxpayer money for a tent that is not going to exist. (laughs) Well,
3: and and $91,000 a month reportedly to lease the vacant lot. $91,000 a month to lease a vacant lot that is contaminated with mercury and other toxins. Um, So who negotiated that deal? Uh, The biggest news to me about the million dollars and that leasing amount is the fact that uh, the Johnson administration released the information at all. Because to Brandon's point, most of what's been going on here with the response to the migrants has been done uh, in secret. And Mm -hmm. there's been very little transparency from the Johnson administration And the central point, in in addition to like, just on principle, that should be, the public should be allowed to know and see what's going on. Our other decision makers, members of city council, should be able to know and see what's going on. It's hurting the cause of helping the migrants because it's fueling suspicions about what else is happening, who's getting enriched. You know, there's already xenophobia out there, and when you're not. You know straightforward with the public about what's happening it just fuels all this other negative stuff that's a
1: good point uh so mayor johnson announced this week that almost no police stations are being used anymore
0: to to house migrants let's listen we actually accomplished what i said we would do and that's 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 the credit to all of our departments the full force of government and i'm grateful to our, our our police officers who've endured this type of recklessness for a very long time
1: So the mayor is saying he's, you know, finally gotten migrants out of sleeping on the floors of police stations and sounds kind of relieved.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, I I think he is relieved. You you know, earlier this year, there was an allegation. We learned of an allegation of sexual abuse by by a police officer against migrants. So far, I think it's important to point out so far that investigation has not turned any any more information up. But I do think that that incident Really lit a fire under the Johnson administration that that they needed to get migrants out of, out of the police stations. Um, I'm sure he's relieved. I think obviously sleeping on the floor of a police station is not the ideal place for any anyone to be sleeping. I also think politically, you know, to a mixed point of, of of the visibility of all this, moving migrants out of the police stations is just going to be easier for him politically because it's um, even if they're not going to better, you know, Borderless Magazine just had a had a piece about the the shelter in Pilsen. Um, and and poor conditions there. But even uh-huh. if they're not going to much better places, they're going to places that are going to be less visible. There's going to be less, com- you know, less complaining about it, I think. So, So yes, certainly politically this is, is yeah. good for Johnson.
1: And in order to get the migrants out of the police stations, the, the city's had to really come up with some creative housing situations. As Brandon alluded to earlier, Mick, you and your colleague Melody Mercado took a deep dive into how the city's housing migrants. Uh, we also know that uh, the latest involves a CVS in Little Village. So mm-hmm. catch us up.
3: Yeah, it's been uh, – the city's been scrambling for more than a year to uh, to try to keep up with the arrivals, uh, mostly from Texas, have come here. And, and I think people are generally sympathetic to the fact that this administration uh, came in. Uh, listen, the mayor you know, has not held an executive position before – And they had to to really start something from scratch or they had to respond very quickly. Um, However, we're a long way into this. And uh, I think everybody here is saying uh, people are just waiting to hear a coherent plan. Uh, There's no sign this is going to stop. As a matter of fact, everyone, including people in the Johnson administration, expect it to pick up as we get closer to the Democratic convention Mm -hmm. next summer. Uh, for political reasons, from the Republicans, so there needs to be a clear plan. Um,
1: yeah, your reporting made it clear that we're left with more questions. Than left with more questions.
3: So we, what we tried to do is we looked at just one neighborhood, the West Loop, because we went to a bunch of community meetings, and we there was a, a rapid succession of shelters spaces opening in the West Loop late this summer and earlier this fall, and uh, we started to see a pattern. They were all owned by. Uh, developers and downtown property owners who have relationships with the city in other ways. And it just, I've been around Chicago, covered politics a long time. Mm-hmm. You start to s- suspect this looks like something. And the fact that the uh, Johnson administration literally like wouldn't respond to our freedom of information requests, they wouldn't answer basic questions. We still have not received copies of the actual contracts with these building owners. Uh, this is just some basic stuff. You should be able to, as a citizen, uh, log on. And just like we we're talking about the lobbying database, we yeah. can find out who's lobbying. Now nonprofits are going to have to register, but we can't find out you know, who the city is leasing properties to mm-hmm. and for how much.
1: How these shelters are chosen, how much is being built.
3: Absolutely. Just basic questions we don't know anything about.
1: And is, is the rent that they're paying a bit higher than what's considered normal?
3: Well, it's certainly higher than what these buildings were renting for before. The ones we looked at were all office spaces previously, including in a hot real estate market like West Loop Fulton Market area. And uh, since most of us are working at home most of the time, the market for office space has tanked. And so these building owners saw an opportunity to fill up their spaces and to get some income coming in. Um, I don't know if anyone's really going to fault them for that Mm -hmm. on the face of it, but we did some basic math um, based on the information we could get out of the city. And it's many times what the city is paying is many times uh, what office renters were paying for the same space. So it looks like the city's getting gouged. The city has told us, well, no, there's a lot more expenses to housing people versus having offices in the same space, Mm -hmm. which may be true. but. Listen, we still don't have the details. We don't know where this money is going and what it's going for.
1: Yeah. Let's turn to education, Brandon. The Chicago School Board approved a plan to move away from school choice and instead prioritize neighborhood schools. What's that about?
4: Yeah. Uh, So for years, Chicago has been a city that – you can decide where you want to let your kid go to school. And so uh, the Johnson administration basically pushing with their board of education to uh, shift things back to where neighborhood schools become a priority. Uh, As it stands right now, 76% of high school students and 45% of elementary school students don't even attend their assigned neighborhood school. Um, And so Johnson wants to change that because advocates of this say that um, it's created a system of haves and have nots. Charter growth has stagnated over time here in Mm -hmm. the city of Chicago. Critics are saying that charter schools effectively just squeeze resources away from these neighborhood schools that need the money and resources. So this whole idea here from Johnson is to, you know, reshift the decks. But what's interesting here is he was pressed on this in the runoff on whether he would do this. Flat out asked, would you actually, you know, dump this all together and he said no. He said that he would not get rid of selective enrollment within CPS. This is a major departure yeah, from that, and also what past mayors have done, like Daly and Rom. Yeah. Um, now we got to make sure we clarify here. Nothing is solidified yet. CPS says it's a five-year plan. They want community feedback, all that type of stuff here. Um, But this would radically change the way education goes down in the city as we get an elected school board set to go next year.
1: Well, you interviewed uh, Chicago School Board President John N. Shee, right? Did he hint at all at wanting to move in this direction?
4: No. (laughs) He did not. He he, he talked about the usual talking points. The plot thickens. Uh, The usual talking points of strengthening up schools, bolstering enrollment. But it seems like now that this has been unveiled, this was part of the strategy for that so a lot of things and levers have to be pulled for this to really uh get off the ground here but uh this would just this would dramatically change so many things you got some people on edge you know the college preps out there and stuff like that thinking or oh, they just going to close our schools altogether. CPS has said that is not the case. Uh, they have not made decisions on closing schools. And the idea oh, is to be able to have both operating. Uh, but they are going to re-examine schools. So we all know what that means. we
1: are going to be worrying and waiting. Yeah. There are more stories to get to in our weekly news recap. The man charged with killing seven people last year at the Highland Park 4th of July parade made headlines again this week. Patrick has more.
2: I covered the hearing earlier this week. Robert Cremio III uh, said that he wanted to represent himself in his upcoming murder trial. As you mentioned, I mean, he's charged with killing seven people. Uh, He's facing dozens of charges, murder, attempted murder. Um and and uh, said he wants to represent himself. It's honestly was chilling to, to It's uh, chilling anytime I cover one of his uh, yeah his his status I'm hearings. I'm surprised
1: by that choice. Uh,
2: well, and the judge in the case was surprised as well. You know, the, the judge in the case during the hearing when when it was announced that he wanted to represent himself, asked him you know these very leading questions like, "You are aware you're facing multiple life life sentences in prison, and they will run back to back if you are convicted." He said he was. The judge said, "You know, you are aware you're not going to get any special help." Leg- legally if you do this and he said he was aware that mm. the judge essentially at the end was like this is a terrible idea but i can't stop you and then uh the the judge went to set a trial date which was what we all thought was going to happen at this hearing uh and she was going to set it for july or excuse me february of 2025 okay and uh cremo jumped in and said i'm demanding my right to a, a speedy trial I want it within 120 days, uh, which and so it's February of 2024. We're like a couple As months away. As in two away. months from yeah, now. Yeah, we're like two months away, you know, a year earlier than, than was expected.
1: And the accused shooter's father also made news this week. Patrick, update us on uh, Robert Cremo Jr.
2: Yeah, Robert Cremo Jr., the, the father of Robert Cremo third. he pleaded guilty earlier this year to seven counts of reckless conduct. Uh, he 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 was charged and, and pleaded guilty to helping his son get a gun permit when Crema would have been too young to get a gun permit on his own. Mm-hmm. Uh, he admitted that that was reckless behavior. He was sentenced to 60 days in jail, uh, but he just got out after serving 27 days for, for good behavior. So he's already been in and out for for his role uh, in in the you know mass shooting in Highland Park.
1: All right, let's turn to something very different. The the head of Illinois NAACP is being pressured to resign. This is over comments made on a Zoom call with uh, NAACP leaders from around the state. Listen to a clip here of what uh, Teresa Haley said. These immigrants have come over here. They've been raping people. They've been breaking into homes. They're like savages as well. They don't speak the language and they look at us like we were crazy. Brandon, fill us in on on what happened there and, and what the fallout has been for Haley.
4: Yeah, I wasn't sure if that was Teresa Haley or Donald Trump. So basically, to oh, the, the Illinois – I mean, the, the, the words are very similar. Yeah. Uh, the Illinois NAACP, she is the head of it. I mean, she runs all the branches within the NAACP. Got a lot of flack for this, and it's, I'm glad you played the audio because when ABC7 asked her about this, <laughs> she said – she denied that she even said it. Mm. And then she blamed AI. She said, with AI, anything is possible. Um well, oh, So she's saying she it was wasn't saying it, her. She's saying she it wasn't her. It was like her. a
2: transcription error or yeah, something? Yeah, yeah. Did you know there was audio of somebody it? Somebody
4: was targeting her with artificial intelligence. Who knows? Well, that's
1: why you get your news from WBEZ.
4: Exactly. So I'm glad we played the audio there. She has since apologized, issued an apology uh, that mentioned empathy, which is pretty ironic, and uh, said anyone who may have been offended, which, I mean, a lot of people were offended. Um, the branch presidents, though, this is interesting, unanimously backed her. Huh. Uh, she has faced some calls to resign from the ex page NCAA president yeah. and some others within, and, and, um, I'm sorry, NAACP president um, and some others within N- NAACP. But uh, we mentioned JB, you're probably going to mention JB Pritzker.
1: Yeah, well, here's some more audio yeah. that we have. Pritzker, he was quick to chime in as well with a reaction.
0: Reprehensible remarks. Um, I would hope that uh, she would apologize for the remarks Uh, I also think that people should recognize that immigrants to this country are
4: um, all around us. Notice he didn't go as far, though, as to call for a resignation, which has uh, gotten some people pretty upset as well. Mm -hmm. They believe there should have been more condemnation and more calls for resignation uh, for Teresa Haley. She still has her position, still has her job. um, But it's just it's. In in these the, these really fractured times and high emotional times with asylum seekers coming in mm-hmm. and these community meetings, people getting riled up, comments like that do yeah. not help tensions at all.
1: I mean, I've seen resignations and you know stepping down for for less. Yeah. so I'm, I'm I'm shocked. Any thoughts, Mick, on on just how damaging this could be for Illinois' NAACP?
3: Uh, well, I mean, obviously, it doesn't instill a lot of confidence that they're. Uh, standing up for civil rights for everyone in the state of Illinois. Um, On the other hand, I got to say, let's be honest, this reflects the views of a lot of people out there. And so uh, there are people who are going to uh, uh, praise her or be understanding that in what she thought was a private conversation, she's telling, uh, you know, the other person what she really thinks about it. Mm -hmm. Um, And and that's not to say, of course, that I support it. Uh, I think it's reprehensible as well, but... I'm just saying this is the political reality we live in.
1: Uh, Mick, the governor was also not happy to hear that Illinois will have to drop a law that he signed in July banning what he considers to be deceptive anti-abortion counseling centers. Catch us up.
3: This is uh, an interesting case, um, kind of a weird case that involves both uh, uh, reproductive rights as well as first amendment rights. And, uh, It involves uh, what are called pregnancy crisis centers. Mm -hmm. Sounds like a place where people who are troubled about a pregnancy or, you know, some other kind of uh, uh, health issue can go to for assistance. In reality, they are uh, anti-abortion operations that are trying to persuade people away from certain alternatives, including, of course, um, abortions. And so uh, a state law was passed, I think, earlier this summer. Um, in which uh, there were some restrictions on what people at these so called crisis centers could say right. to people who came in for help. Um, that was challenged in court by uh, some conservative groups, anti abortion groups. And uh, long story short, this week, uh, Attorney General Kwame Raoul said that he is not going to take action to enforce the law. Um, basically, so he agreed. Well, I don't know if he personally agreed. He actually went out of his way to say that he didn't agree uh with he didn't agree necessarily with the ruling. He didn't agree with the uh with the people opposing the law, mm-hmm. but as the the state's chief, you know, uh, law enforcement officer essentially, uh that it, you know, the writing was on the wall in the courts that the state is not going to win this because of first amendment issues. And so it was a strategic choice, I believe, from the state attorney general to uh, to not pursue these cases.
1: Yeah, a strategic choice and a, and a pretty rare victory for um, anti-abortion activists in this state.
3: Sure, absolutely.
1: Patrick, the governor was happy though uh, with news from the Supreme Court about Illinois' assault weapons ban. What's the latest on
2: this? Yeah, the news essentially is that the Supreme Court's not going to weigh in on the assault weapons ban. Okay. It was actually Justice Amy Coney Barrett uh, who denied an emergency request for an injunction. Uh, groups had had appealed. Uh, a decision. There actually were, were a couple decisions in, in lower appellate courts upholding Illinois' new assault weapons ban. Um, this is a victory, as you mentioned, for, for, for Governor Pritzker. It's a victory for many lawmakers who got this passed. I know there's a lot of relief among especially people in Highland Park who really pushed hard for this assault weapons ban after that mass shooting that we were talking about. Uh, it's a relief because I think we all assumed if the Supreme Court did decide to take this up, they would have shot it down. I mean, they basically mm. have not found a... A gun law that they thought was supported by the historical precedent that they've decided is the uh, the law of the land now.
1: Let's uh, switch gears entirely and turn to sports. Ooh. Brandon, a Southside <laughs> underdog, scored a big upset on Wednesday night.
4: Yeah, I don't want to, you know, hurt that was mixed... my that
1: was my sports reporter. Voice. <laughs> oh, great! I it.
4: Should I do mine too? No, I don't want to hurt mixed feelings too <laughs> oh, much <okay>. here. But <laughs> <laughs> whammy! Um... <laughs> Chicago State with probably the biggest upset. Of their program's history, and definitely one of the biggest in Illinois history. Uh, for context, here Northwestern ranked number twenty-five in the nation. Had just beaten the number one team in the country, Purdue, um, on their home court, and lost on their home court to Illinois. Keep yeah, talking to you, Chicago this. He's he's, he's this, reciting This disrespect facts. to our, our Northwestern alumni. Listen, listen to these key stats here. Wesley Cardet, thirty points. Uh, the Wildcats were trying to get their first home game ranked. Since 1959, trying to get a win for the first time ranked. Didn't happen. Chicago State was 0-64 against Big Ten teams before this game. 0-39 against ranked teams before this game. Ouch. They were a 24-point underdog, and they haven't had a winning record since the 80s. Brandon. Uh, What a... (laughs) York, is, you, haven't, you
1: haven't given any other story that kind of passion and energy
4: <laughs> until just, now. I'm just so happy
2: for I'm just Chicago State. I they, wish you know? could see how much Brandon is gesturing and, and looking at, at, me. As he's <laughs> just just at me. I'm just, just targeting. Just just I'm just targeting. Mick is over here queuing as Brandon gives yes. us the
3: deeps. Make, uh, yeah, thirty spoke seconds spoke for a response. And kudos to Chicago State. They came out. I did not watch the game. I was actually doing something else. And he didn't. I'm glad I didn't as well. Listen. These are the kind of games that a school, a Big Ten school like Northwestern schedules so that they can get an easy win, and that's hubris, and it's about money and uh, good for Chicago State for coming in there ready to play, and my Wildcats, listen, this is what it's like being a Northwestern fan. Every once in a while, something amazing happens, like you beat the number one team in the nation, and then a week later, a week and a half later, you uh, fall on your face, so yeah. Kudos
4: to the, the Cougars. So <laughs> that athletic program rising up. They're also trying to get football started. So yeah. maybe this helps.
1: Well, one more quick sports story, uh, Brandon. The Bears, uh, they continue to make headlines in their quest for a new stadium. What are the latest rumors that we're hearing?
4: Yeah, the latest there's tons of rumors out here. but the latest rumor is that the Bears are looking to basically build their new stadium right next to where Soldier Field is at on the south parking lot, right there on the lakefront. The problem here is that... So
1: they're staying in the same place? At, exactly. Potentially? No
4: more Arlington Heights, allegedly. That's what the latest rumor is. Now, here's the thing. Uh, it's tricky because there's a longstanding precedent that businesses cannot build on the lakefront. Soldier Field's excuses, the park district... They have the jurisdiction there. Um, You may remember George Lucas tried to have his museum on the lakefront, and he got chased out by Friends of the Parks. Mm. And Friends of the Parks says, you know what? We're ready to fight again if the Bears are going to try to do this. I I will tell you this, though. I I spoke with Kevin Warren, the team president and CEO of the Bears. Uh, He is very committed to a new stadium They that's their number one focus right now, aside from (laughs) winning games, is trying to get a new stadium for the Bears. Where it's going to be, though, still a big issue. But they have a lot of hopes that with this new mayor, Brandon Johnson, they can make something work in the city. I
1: speak for the rest of us. Just figure it out. All right. (laughs) Ten seconds or less, each of you. Looking ahead to next week, what are you keeping your eye on? Mick, you first.
3: I'm look. I'm keeping my eye on my uh, impending vacation uh, right after Christmas. I'm not going to lie to you all. Um, That's the realest answer. I'm, I'm, the realest I'm tired. It's been a really busy time for us all. Everybody, but in the news. Patrick, so that was more than go. ten seconds.
2: Patrick, <laughs> Mick stole my answer. I have an eleven-week baby at home. I'm off next Yay. week. I'm looking forward to spending time with the baby and nothing about news. That's wonderful. I'm also wonderful grateful reason. you didn't ask about the Bears defeating the Lions. Brandon could have been gesturing at me and making fun of me for that.
4: And Brandon. You know, I am looking forward to, uh, I just teased, I talked to Kevin Warren. I also interviewed Brian Poles. We're going to have two great sit-downs on On the Block, powered by Block Club Chicago, with uh, the two first black people to hold those positions in team history. So all it's going right. to be pretty so good. So
1: Brandon's actually doing some work. My thanks to Brandon Pope of CW26. <laughs> Not to
4: make y'all look Mick Dumke
1: yeah. of Block Club Chicago and WBEZ's new daddy, Patrick Smith. <laughs> Thank you all. Thank you. That's it for this episode. It was produced by Andrea Guthman, with editing by Meha Ahmed and Brenda Ruiz. If you liked this episode, consider subscribing to the podcast or sharing this episode with a friend. It helps us find more listeners like you. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thank you for catching up on the biggest stories of the week with us. We'll chat again soon.